And so we are continuing this morning in our series through the Gospel of Mark. And we come to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. So please turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 6. Hear now the eternal living word of God. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph, and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house... Stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. And so throughout Mark's account, of the story of the life of Jesus. He's given us this backstory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how it came to be. And he's told us how Jesus came proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God. He, Jesus called everyone to repent and believe in the gospel. And this is for those who are in the kingdom of God. Those who are in the kingdom of God, who are under the rule of God, that is, are those who repent and believe. And through this gospel account, we've seen Jesus display his power. His power over the demons, his power over the wind and the sea, over human illness and death. Jesus is displaying his power of the kingdom. He's showcasing what the power of the kingdom of God is, and he's revealing that he is the all-powerful king. In our passage this morning, we'll see two stories as the ministry of Jesus moves beyond the region of Galilee. And Jesus will return to his hometown of Nazareth, sending out his apostles to continue his mission. 
And you'll see that your position in the kingdom of God relies completely on your position with Jesus Christ. So to reject Christ is to reject the kingdom. To embrace Christ is to embrace the kingdom of God. Everything hinges on where you stand with Jesus Christ. And so our passage begins this morning with Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth. So far in Mark's gospel, Jesus has been ministering almost exclusively in the region of Galilee. And he seems to have had a home in Capernaum during this time. But now he returns to Nazareth, where he was raised. And starting in verse 1, it says, He went away from there, which is he went away from Galilee. And he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So when Jesus goes back to his hometown, he begins to teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's taking the role of the teacher, the rabbi. And he had done this before. In Galilee, if you recall, all the way back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was teaching in Capernaum on the Sabbath. And their response was they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. In Capernaum, it says the people were astonished or amazed at what they heard. The authority with which Jesus spoke impressed them. He spoke not like any scribe or rabbi they had ever heard before, not with a borrowed authority, but with his own authority. He spoke with the authority of God himself. But they respected him for this. There there were some who believed. There were some who saw the truth in what he was saying. But now, there's a different response when he returns to Nazareth. Now, again, it says he, they were astonished in English, but that, it's actually a different Greek word than is used in Mark 1. It's a different response. This time, it has a negative connotation. So in Capernaum, the people responded in a positive way. But now in Nazareth, they're astonished in that they're offended. They took offense that Jesus had the audacity to speak to them with this authority. They were questioning him. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? They're jealous of what he's doing. And then they say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And they name his brothers and they say his sisters are here. They're questioning him because they've known him for years. They're saying, we know this guy. We know his family. Where does he get off speaking about these things? Speaking with such authority. He's the carpenter from down the street. And there's an emphasis here on the humanity of Jesus. In a small town of Nazareth, they they knew him as a child. They knew him just as another guy from their small town. He grew up from a child into a man, just as anyone from the town of Nazareth, in their eyes. 
but this caused resentment about his teaching. They were too prideful to accept what he had to say. They, they didn't want him to be this great rabbi. Why him and not them? Why was he doing all these great works, all of these miracles? And the resentment is evident in their line of questioning, especially when they said, isn't this the son of Mary? For a Jew in the first century, you were the son of your father. You would, he would have been Jesus, the son of Joseph. Even if your father was dead, that's how you would have been referred to. And so their reference should have been, isn't this the son of Joseph? But here, the people of Nazareth are attempting to insult Jesus. Attempting to question his legitimacy. They're casting a stigma on his mother. Implying that he was some sort of an illegitimate child. But this is what was predicted of him. As we read in our responsive reading this morning from Isaiah 53, the Messiah, who is the suffering servant of the Lord, he would be despised and rejected by men. He would be without honor. And this is obviously what is going on in this story in Nazareth. They are rejecting him. They despise him. They're not giving him any honor. But rejection of Christ has serious consequences. Their resentment of Jesus was to their own detriment. Back in Mark 4, when Jesus was teaching his parables, he said, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He was saying that your acceptance or your rejection of him is whether or not he would minister to them, whether or not you would grow. And so he's responding to the unbelief of the Nazarenes by not ministering there. First, he says a proverb. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Those who are most familiar with him are the ones who are rejecting him. The people of his own town, even his own family, have rejected him up until this point. Now, we know his family become believers. His brother James eventually became one of the pillars of the church and author of the book of James in the Bible. But his family rejected the idea that Jesus is the Messiah. They thought he was out of his mind this early on. And as far as the people of Nazareth go, their rejection of him meant he didn't minister in their midst. Now it says he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Where the people didn't believe in Jesus, he didn't perform the same miracles. It's not that he was incapable of performing these miracles, but he wouldn't perform them because it would be inconsistent with his message and his mission. The kingdom comes through repentance and belief. And so where the kingdom of God is rejected, it's inappropriate for the king to share the blessings of the kingdom. And Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. They've known Jesus his whole life, but they utterly rejected him. And in doing so, they utterly rejected the kingdom of God. Because to reject Jesus Christ is to reject the kingdom. And what we see take place in this passage in Nazareth is really the old adage about human relationships. Familiarity breeds contempt. For us, the danger isn't obviously being too familiar with the physical Jesus because we knew him from when he was a child, but 
for us, it's becoming too familiar with the truth of Jesus. Especially if you've heard it since you were young. You can't let being familiar with the truth turn into contempt or even indifference toward it. Because to reject Jesus Christ is to reject the kingdom of God and all of its blessings. God blesses believers in a special way. Because those who believe in Jesus Christ are the children of God. So to reject Christ, to not believe in him as the Savior, as the Messiah, to reject his message is to reject the blessings that he brings. Because if you reject Jesus Christ and you don't receive the kingdom of God, then you get God's judgment. That's what's happening in Nazareth. Jesus leaving there. Only having healed a few people is an act of judgment upon their hardened hearts, upon their unbelief. And all of what you see throughout the world around you is really the same. A hardened heart towards Christ. People thinking they don't need a Savior, therefore they don't need Jesus Christ. They have a deflated sense of God and the Savior he sent. And they have an inflated sense of themselves. The people of Nazareth and really every unbeliever are rejecting the kingdom of God. They're rejecting the blessings of God, which includes salvation, because they are rejecting Jesus Christ. There's nothing in this world that anyone needs more desperately than Jesus Christ. In him lies all the power of God, and your status without him is hopeless. And so Jesus leaves Nazareth. It says he went on. He went about among the villages teaching. So after facing this rejection, he doesn't despair. Jesus just moves on in obedience to his mission of the kingdom. But this whole time, the disciples have been with him. They've been watching him, performing miracles throughout Galilee. Now they've seen him rejected in his hometown and then leave them behind. And so now it's their time to be sent out. Starting in verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And so now Jesus is sending out his disciples in groups of two in order to do the work of the kingdom. And he sends them out with his authority. But Nazareth is not the only place where there will be unbelief and then where there will be rejection of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has special instructions for his apostles, starting in verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So because Jesus has sent out the apostles in his authority, they sometimes will face the same rejection that he has at times. They were being sent out as representatives of Jesus, representatives of the kingdom of God, and therefore to accept them would be to accept Christ. To reject them would be to reject Christ, and this was especially true for his apostles. They were sent out by him in a special time while he was physically on earth, and they held this special office of apostle. But this, in a sense, is true 
of every believer. You represent Jesus Christ to the world. And the reaction of people to you as a Christian, as an ambassador of the kingdom and the gospel, is really their reaction to Christ himself. That's if you're speaking the truth of the gospel to someone. Their, Their acceptance or rejection of that truth is based upon their acceptance or rejection of Christ himself. If someone is offended or upset that you're a Christian, or or that is a rejection of Christ. That's a rejection of the kingdom. And so you have a duty to represent Christ properly. To show the fruit of the Spirit. To show the life of someone who has been changed by the gospel. You're still a sinner in need of grace. But you've been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it should show. How you treat others. How you behave in the world is a representative of Jesus Christ himself. But you also don't need to fear rejection on behalf of Christ. Because they're ultimately not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus himself. You are to live a life as a representative of King Jesus himself in word and in deed. In speaking the gospel and living a changed life by the grace of God. And those that reject the gospel, they are rejecting Christ himself. And so for the apostles, we see that Jesus commands them to take nothing with them. No bread, no bag, no money. Now it's not that Jesus wanted them to be beggars. It's that he was sending them out in a way that they had to trust in God to provide. He's setting them up to strengthen their belief on this mission. They needed to trust in the providence of God. And the way God would provide for them was the hospitality of others. Jesus even told them not to take two tunics. This was because a second tunic was to be used for sleeping outside against the elements. And again, this is about trusting that God would provide shelter for them as well. God would provide all of their needs in order to accomplish his mission. And just like last week, we see the connection between belief and trust, faith and trust. God is calling upon the apostles to believe in him in order to accomplish his mission. He's challenging them not to be like the Nazarenes, not to be like unbelievers, but to believe in Christ, to believe in his mission, and to trust that God would provide what they need to accomplish his mission. If they are representing Christ and proclaiming the kingdom, then God would provide for them because it's his mission they are on. And this is a lesson for the church as well. We're to consider and remember that your mission is the mission of God himself and trust that God will provide. Now, this doesn't mean be irresponsible, but not to worry about what you need to accomplish this mission. You should be focused on what it is you're to do for the kingdom of God and do it. Trusting that God will provide. Make sure your heart and your mind are focused first on God and his kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When he says all these things, he's talking about the necessities of life, food, Clothing, shelter, don't worry about these things that you need. Focus on God's mission and his kingdom and his glory. And God will provide everything you need for his mission. 
But you must remember that you are on his mission. What we do as a church is not about us, but about the glory of God. It's about King Jesus, the kingdom of God. It's about the gospel of salvation that every man, woman, and child needs to hear. And you are to bring it to them. And you are to bring them to the message, to the word being preached and taught in our church. And if you're focused on that, then God will provide what you need to accomplish his mission. And notice that Jesus told the apostles that any place that doesn't receive them and won't listen to them, he says, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. The shaking off the dust of their feet was an act to symbolize God's judgment on them. Jesus is saying that anyone that rejects your mission, that rejects the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, will be judged by God. You cannot be neutral with respect to your relationship with Jesus Christ. You either love him and give your life over to him, or you reject him. Either he is your king and lord over your life, or he is your judge, bringing the judgment of God upon you. Those are the only two options. Indifference towards Christ is rejection of him. And to reject Jesus is to reject the kingdom of God and all his blessings. And so the apostles, they carry out their mission in belief. They carry out this mission trusting in God. So in verse 12 we read, So they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so the belief of the apostles is seen in their trusting in God for the, their mission. And they preach the same message as Jesus who sent them. Repent and believe. And this is the result of someone who trusts in God. Repent, which means you should turn from your sin toward God and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this includes trusting in God for that salvation. Trusting in God to provide for you as, as you live in service of him. If you are truly living in service of God, why would he not provide for you? It's not a call to laziness. Rather, it's a call to focus. Focus on what God wants you to do, and he will provide everything you need. And what he wants you to do is bring the word of God, the gospel of the kingdom, the message of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ to the people. And he wants you to bring people to that message. He wants you to make sure everyone hears the message that where you stand in regards to the kingdom of God relies solely on where you stand with Jesus Christ. To reject Christ is to reject the kingdom of God and to embrace Christ is to embrace the kingdom of God. Everything hinges on where you stand in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So if there are any of you here who haven't submitted to Jesus Christ as your king. If he hasn't changed your life by the power of the gospel, God is calling you to himself. He sent his son for you. He wants you to embrace him. Have you embraced Jesus Christ completely, relying on him solely to be saved? Because to reject Christ is to reject the kingdom of God. It's to be an outsider in the kingdom. It's to be an outsider of the people of God. It means you will have the same fate as the people of Nazareth, the judgment of God. But to embrace Christ is to embrace the kingdom, to receive Christ, to receive all the blessings of God, to receive salvation 
and eternal life in his name. And so for all of you that believe in Jesus Christ, your mission as an individual Christian and as, our, as the church collectively is to bring the message to the world, to bring the message of Jesus Christ to everyone and to bring them to the message here. But there will be rejection. The world will always be hostile to the message of salvation. There will always be some that reject Christ and his message. But that isn't to be a discouragement. Just as Jesus and his apostles continued on their mission in the face of unbelief, you are to be encouraged to do the same. Continuing to serve the Lord by living for him and his kingdom. Casting aside selfishness, trusting that God will provide. And it doesn't mean there's, you live a reckless life, that you quit your job and stop paying your bills. It simply means that you move forward with the mission of God, knowing that God will provide and that you do, don't need to worry about the basic needs of life. God will provide them. The same God that loved you enough to send his son to die as your substitute will make sure you have everything you need. He loves you with a love beyond comparison. And he sent his son Jesus in the world to die a brutal death in your place. And he did so out of love. And in response, he calls you to love him and to love your neighbor. And so as you go out into the world today, tomorrow, and every day, remember that you represent Jesus Christ to the world. And that he's called you to make disciples through his word through his gospel of salvation. And you can do this with full confidence that God will provide everything you need to do the work for his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning in worship, proclaiming the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. We come here as your people, gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, knowing that he is our only hope in life and in death. We rely completely on him for our salvation. And Lord, we ask that you bring us to trust in you, that we would fully trust for you to provide and to guide us the way we are to go, that we would do the work of your kingdom and in the name of your son as your people. And we pray all of this in Jesus' glorious name, Amen. So now let us sing hymn number 130, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.